Hey, greetings and welcome. This is the second part of a discussion that I recorded recently with Scott McLeaver. Scott's a partner in the private business team at PwC, but one of the areas of his expertise is that of emerging technology and digital transformation. And that covers everything I've learned from Bitcoin all the way to central bank issued digital currencies, pretty much everything in between. Permit me to issue and control the money of a nation and I care not who makes its laws. Meyer Rothschild is said to have said that, and he's a man who has a lot to do with banking, even through his descendants to this day. When the government's or central bank controls the money supply of a nation, they ultimately control the very mechanism by which you and I can store up wealth. And this matters to me because in the spirit of building, protecting, and passing on wealth, we need to understand this whole space a lot better. Central bank-issued digital currencies are coming. We may like it, or we may not. By the way, in the show notes is a great wee list of links to the other shows that I've done on this topic. If that's of interest, episode 185 with the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, episode 169 with Campbell Pentney, episode 120 with Mark Pascal, Make sure you learn a lot more in this area because most are not giving it much thought. It sounds like one of them crypto things this guy always talks about, right? No. If anything, it's this constant theme of custody that I mull over from time to time or the right that we have to hold our assets. We're talking about the next evolution of currency, though. Programmable dollars. Believe you me when I say this, CBDCs will be the start of when things really start to change. Now, I don't have a clue where your starting point is around this topic, but honestly, when you get a chance, research as much as you can. But I do need to warn you, right? Like if you Google or you search YouTube for central bank issued digital currencies, especially after your brother's special brownies or after reading 1984 by George Orwell, you'll be convinced this is probably a conspiracy theory or the end of the world. So just be careful. Now, why are CBDCs considered so dangerous, though, to some? What's the big deal? Well, there's a few concerns that I understand so far, but the big one I see is this. A legal monopoly owns the rails for the creation and destruction of our primary store of wealth. And it's the same monopoly that controls the military, too. Give the government even more control of freedom through our currency? At some stage, even the freest country will eventually realize they were slaves all along. Now, in my home country, not that long ago, we observed a government who froze the bank accounts of a fringe minority. We want to make this easier for them to do? What happens when you're the fringe minority? Well, we know already that even our investing behavior is starting to be influenced also by outside standards. ESG, or Socially Responsible Investment Standards. It's all great stuff. Until, of course, those standards really start to affect you badly. If you follow what happens in China, are we going to go there? You'll already likely know what it's like living with social credit scores. Throw in some digital IDs for good measure and wow, they're right. We really will be happy. But what happens if the blood, sweat, and tears soaked money that you save for your future isn't worth anything in the future? And what if it's not worth anything because you did something the state felt wasn't quite right? So, how's that in terms of the dark side, right? Not bad. Well, we all know there's always another side, right? And I think it may be a dangerous thing to fear CBDCs. Fear never makes good decisions anyway, but it may indeed be the beginning of the end in some ways, but when in doubt, I think we should zoom out. There's a bigger picture here with central bank-issued digital currencies, and I think Scott does a great job today 
and painting it a little bit more for us. So this has to be one of the most underreported and misunderstood areas in finance. So I'm really super thankful for Scott's time today. Now, one last thing before, just do remember this isn't financial advice. I'm never going to be going out there recommending you invest in CBDCs. Just invest in dollars, right? Same thing, I think. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this one today. Let's get started. Welcome to the latest edition of the NZ Everyday Investor Podcast. In this podcast, I cover a wide range of topics ranging from property investment, investing in managed funds and KiwiSaver, precious metals and digital assets like Bitcoin. Why do I do it? Because I love learning and helping everyday Kiwis build new wealth for the new world that we're heading into. I'm Darcy Angaro, your host and qualified financial advisor. My goal is to get self-directed DIY investors thinking about all the tools available to build wealth. While I hope this will assist you in making more informed financial decisions, please do keep in mind that nothing you hear today is considered financial advice. Investments or strategies discussed may not be suitable for everyone, so be sure to do your own research before acting on anything discussed today. Further information on today's show can be found by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player. Here you'll find some show notes which will contain all relevant links relating to today's topic. Hope you enjoy the show. So first up, what is a central bank issued digital currency? They are basically the central banks of countries and economies saying, hmm, this Bitcoin and digital currency thing on a blockchain is actually quite interesting. You know what? And there's some real efficiencies and benefits that the participants in the economy can get from digital currencies. Mm -hmm. But you know what? We don't want everyone to be exposed to crypto volatility and also we don't want to lose control of our monetary system because it's too important mm -hmm. to the safety of our economy and our people and our institutions. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is we want to issue to the economy um, the ability to use digital currencies that are issued by us the same as a normal dollar. So the functionality of a crypto dollar, but it's literally still a New Zealand dollar. Yeah. And I think they'll be really powerful. I'm very supportive of them. And I think personally that they will live in a symbiotic means with Bitcoin and Ethereum and, mm. and the successful coins, whichever they are, because Bitcoin will be, and I think remain, a be like a digital gold, um, a decentralized and a decentralized tamper-proof kind of account. Swiss bank account, yeah, correct? Yeah, you're right, yeah, correct. I get that. So the Swiss bank account of the future is Bitcoin that can't be tampered with. But actually, you know, I own Bitcoin. I strongly view that and I feel that in 10 years I will transact mostly via New Zealand Reserve Bank issued digital currencies. Why? Because it's just a normal New Zealand dollar that's been upgraded to have the functionality of a digital dollar. Mm -hmm. And that's what yeah. becomes really interesting. What is that functionality? Okay. I like the fact that you said that you're, generally speaking, I, I'm sure you don't think it's going to be a, a, a perfect blemish-free experience, but I, I like the idea that generally you're in support of it. You think it's a good thing because I've, I've heard a lot of stuff to the contrary and I'd like to run some of the things past you in due course as we have the rest of this conversation just to kind of sense check. Is that is that real? Because I, I need to see the counterpoint to that, yep. otherwise I can't form my opinion. 
thinking about that sovereignty piece. So when I had a chat to the Reserve Bank around this, it was the issue of sovereignty, which which I, I kind of really cottoned on to. And I thought that that's an, uh, that's an angle I didn't see before. Back then, this is before Christmas, it was about Facebook's DM. And it was mm. about all these technology companies that were actually starting to get quite large. Mm. And how easy it could be with their networks to start issuing currencies and therefore monetize their networks or provide rails outside of New Zealand's financial system. And so the move to CBDCs, from my, my understanding anyway, is was largely um, pushed by the sense of protecting New Zealand's sovereignty. Well, there's a, there's a financial stability dimension. There's also what we call a monetary sovereignty dimension. So if you had some external, say you had a, a Facebook uh, DM or, or some other product that came in and people pivoted essentially away from New Zealand bank accounts into this international stable coin, that would have a stability impact, presumably on the New Zealand banking se- sector, depending how extensive that was, but it would also have a monetary sovereignty impact, i.e. it would affect our ability to set interest rates and operate monetary policy in New Zealand. And one of the sort of founding assumptions in our paper is that New Zealanders value the Reserve Bank being able to uh, operate monetary policy to suit New Zealand conditions, not not be to, to have those conditions dictated from uh, less regulated or uncertain players. That's like one massive benefit, right? We definitely don't want Apple coming in here. Oh, well. They kind of already are with Apple Pay to a certain extent. But we don't want Amazon and all these other companies basically just issuing their own native tokens. And then we start using them for our mortgage and we pay down traditional lending and we get paid in other currencies. And now all of a sudden we're outside the tax system. So how much of this is, is actually really about protecting New Zealanders now and not just protecting the current status quo? Yeah. So, I mean, they're good questions. I think First, I just want to draw your attention to one thing I think people overlook, and that's tax, right? So the the reason that when you buy a coffee with a New Zealand dollar and you don't pay a gain or a loss on the value of that New Zealand dollar, because it's our legal tender. In New Zealand, that's how we transact, right? The New Zealand dollar is the mechanism to transact tax-free in New Zealand. If you try to If you tried to do all of your transactions using grams of gold if you just went through the process, the thought experiment, then you would have a a, a gain or loss on the value mm. of that gold every time you transact. Then it might only be 10 cents on that coffee and 3 cents. So because of the fact that the legal tender of the US or New Zealand or wherever it is, is the way to transact tax-free, that's a real barrier to these other tokens becoming en masse adopted. Okay. It doesn't mean it can stop it forever, but that, that is something I think people overlook. So now, yes, how do you get people comply is another challenge, but I think the, the ability to transact in the legal tender of a country, the only place where you can use Bitcoin and not have any tax impact from spending it is El Salvador, because it's legal tender. That's right. right. So that's the first bit I guess I just want to touch on there. Sure, but the sovereignty bit, absolutely. Whether it's Apple coin, Amazon coin, or Bitcoin, right, or Ethereum, the risk that's facing the central banks around the world, and it's one of the reasons why they're leaning into central bank digital currencies, I think it's really twofold. Part of it is protection. They don't want to lose the levers and control of the monetary system in their economy. So if you start getting more and more of your economic participants in your economy using a money outside of your control, the levers you can pull just get shorter and shorter and shorter. You lose effectiveness. Correct. 
Correct. You know, so if you play this out, if New Zealand said, right, we're never, ever going to produce a digital dollar, right? If we were to say that, we would then have innovators and business people, when it made sense, or consumers, saying, you know, I'm going to buy my Amazon stuff using Ethereum because I don't pay bank fees here. I'm going to pay Darcy back for the lunch we went halves in and Bitcoin, right? So so you, you if there's functionality that exists outside of an analog digital, an analog New Zealand dollar, we run the risk of people moving to those other types of value exchange, makes right? Sense. So there's absolutely that sovereignty protectionism mm. totally makes sense. The second bit, though, is actually... A central bank digital currency adds an extraordinary amount to the levers that a central bank can pull. That's right. So not only do they protect themselves, they actually give themselves more um, mechanisms. You can use the word control here. <laughs> but there's, there's a whole bunch there's a whole bunch of um, other mechanisms they can use. So I'll give you an example, right? A really simple example is um, the US and Australia, New Zealand didn't do this, but whilst we had stimulus in New Zealand, in the US, they literally sent out stimulus checks. Mm-hmm. Australia did that too at, at one point, um, and they send them out to you know to adults in the economy. Please go spend. Mm. Let's try and get Helicopter the economy. Money. Yeah, yeah. yeah, let's try and get the um, country um, country moving. Now the problem with helicopter money and those stimulus checks is a massive chunk of them don't go to where the government would like them to go because they either pay down a credit card debt or they get. Um, gambled once and then go to the profits of the casino. Like there's there's a whole bunch of mechanisms where they don't actually. So uh, such a small proportion of them actually go to cafes and retailers and the things that they'd like to stimulate. Whereas using things like um, central bank digital currencies, and um, whilst there'd be a lot of discussion around how um, this could be best done, it's absolutely possible to say, guys, okay, all adults in New Zealand, here's a thousand dollars that can be spent on retail and hospitality, and you've got one month to spend it, right? And if you haven't, it's expired. Mm. So those types of levers are extraordinary. The ability for them to to target money at areas of the economy where they want to stimulate more, they might say, here's money that can, or here's, you know, here's digital dollars that can be used for tourism in Queenstown, Mm. Right, so it's clearly there's a lot of thinking that would need to go on how that would work, but the central banks are really excited about and just you know really curious around how the central bank digital currency actually allows them to have to more effectively manage an economy through its economic cycles. Yeah. You mentioned the word control. What the central banks trying to are trying to do is prevent boom bust, boom bust. They're trying to do this. Yeah. The CBDCs potentially give them more levers to do totally that. See, totally see how that can happen, right? Because you're going in there with precision, not with a sledgehammer. Correct. That makes sense. So it's not like you're indiscriminately increasing the cost of money, but only to those who have debt, to a certain extent. Correct. Like simplifying it. But you're actually climbing into their wallets and you're saying, um, for a season, you're incentivized to spend money in this industry, which we've identified is not necessarily as inflationary as this one. Therefore, we want the money to go there. Or you could say to the beneficiary, we don't want you to buy so much bread this week. We want you to spend it on shoes or something like that. Right? So, yes, and look, and that's where you've touched on, that's where there needs to be, you know, and there will be a lot of social debate, right? The technology allows a really worrying amount of government control. 
there's a lot of criticism of them around the potential they allow. So, for example, the fact that the government could, you know, the, the, the control that they would potentially have over the money you have. You know, and, and you take that example that someone's told, okay, Darcy, you've had too many burgers this week. Your money can only be spent on healthy food now, right? So from a liberty point of view and freedom, um, those are some really important things that we, we must make sure they don't happen. But where I kind of get to on that is just because the technology exists for the government to have a video camera in everyone's house doesn't mean we let them, right? So the technology for digital currencies issued by the central bank to allow more efficient transacting from our letters of credit to allow you know offshore trade and um, payment systems to be miles more efficient, we need to bank that and just like other technologies, not let the government overreach with how they're using them mm. about our freedoms and privacy. Yeah, and I guess those those who probably have a slight more libertarian tendency, not myself, of course, but uh, those who would be like that would probably be quite cynical around giving the tools to government to do that and taking back in exchange for those tools the word that they won't use it for evil, because that's true today. But I guess the paranoia would set in that, hang on, we've seen a few examples of the past yeah. where that doesn't work out too well. So, yeah. yeah. But again, is this inevitable that we're going down this path anyway, right? Like, I think I think we're going down central bank digital currencies anyway. Um, it's a long time before we have only digital currencies. Okay. Um, but there's a couple of kind of implications of CBDCs, which I wouldn't mind touching on. Yes, please. One is that the very point you described, I think, is why Bitcoin will have a long future. It'll be the the mm. currency that isn't within the government's grasp, right? So when the world is transacting value more and more and more digitally and CBCCs are normal and that's just kind of how we transact in an easy way, um, and it'll be seamless and you won't really even realise it. At the moment, the way that you have your privacy and liberty is around cash and gold Right? Those are two of the ways in which you can transact value with another human. Bitcoin will increasingly be, I think, that'll be the digital way that you'll do that. Like for me, that's really helpful, right? Because now I'm kind of thinking, right, well, now, now there's another use case for Bitcoin as, yeah. a, as an offset to the paranoia that the libertarian would have Correct. about the coming CBDC. 100%. And that's where, so I'm pleased that resonated because to everyone who tells me that the CBDC, so some people will say CBDCs are going to destroy Bitcoin. I'm like, no, no, no. I think they will enhance the adoption because once kind of a, a normal adopter, like a mainstream New Zealander, starts having value digitally via CBDC, then they go, oh, I wouldn't mind some of this money in my digital Swiss bank account. Mm. And, and that's where, you know, China is leading the way with their CBDC. Um, obviously, there's an extensive amount of commentary on how that's going to play out in a in the China environment with a, a central bank digital currency there, and it's going to be really interesting because they're leading the way around um, the pilot. They've already piloted their yeah. their digital currency, but they've banned Bitcoin. So they've banned Bitcoin because they don't want that option for their economy. They want it to just be their central bank issued digital currency. So what that kind of means is that, in a strange kind of way. I think it's going to be fascinating looking forward five years, ten years, that it's almost like making Bitcoin more attractive mm. because, because yeah. the central bank currency of China is controlled yeah. and what's the digital version that's not. 
I think this, yeah, this is a really good way to frame it for, um, for those that might be paranoid about the CBDC, right? Like uh, it, it really is the thing that might actually keep the, an accountability piece going because right now it feels like a lot of what we, the people want often doesn't get heard yeah. by the people that we, the people elect. But if you actually have a, a viable alternative that you can actually transact with, why Bitcoin actually starts to become a lot more well, relevant. Cor- correct. And that's where Bitcoin, at its core, is a, like I said, a payments, a global payment network and a storage of wealth, storage of value, right? And where that's interesting is that if our great, great, great grandfather saved, you know, 10% of their earnings for five years and buried it for us in British pounds, it's worthless today. Because that mechanism to store value, i.e. money from Britain 150 years ago, that has devalued so much. So we're lucky. We, we've got people like Darcy who help us choose investments. And, and the answer that I often get is, oh, we don't need Bitcoin. You just need to invest in bonds or stocks or equities or real estate. And once again, that's fine if you from a sophisticated economy and you've got trusted institutions to do that. Yeah. Right? Whereas if a lot of the people in the world, their wealth is in money, it's their savings in their bank account. Mm. And the purchasing power of that saving in their bank account is being changed every month by the decisions of the government that and are it's, totally it's out of control. That either. It's not just that. It's actually everything that's denominated. No, correct. Dollars, yeah. no, that's it. But that's right. The purchasing power is changing. Yeah. So that's where one of the things about Bitcoin is um, no one knows what the future value of it's going to be, but if you own one Bitcoin, you own an untamperable one twenty-one millionth of the Bitcoin network. Mm-hmm. So at any point in time, your one Bitcoin will represent one twenty-one millionth of the value that's been put into Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Right Now at the moment, the value has dropped because... In this current environment of high inflation and economic uncertainty, people are pulling their money out of their value out of the Bitcoin network. Mm-hmm. So the, the the at any point in time, the price of Bitcoin is just the current measurement of the value in the Bitcoin network. Yeah. Right. And and that's where there's it's you can't tamper with that. And I heard this great analogy around um, it, which was if the price of gold hits if it tripled overnight then we, a whole bunch of mining mechanisms will become economic that were uneconomic, right? right. Yeah. We'll be scouring around for, you know, grandmother's chain and so on to, to melt down because it's economically viable. Bitcoin could hit a million dollars overnight and nothing will happen to its supply. Um, so Bitcoin is the first form of value storage that humanity's ever had that supply can never be impacted by price or demand. Right. So that's fixed. So so what that what that means is is that humans will choose over the coming decades how trusted they find the Bitcoin network to store value in. If it loses trust, then the price of Bitcoin will keep going down and down and down and down. But as if the adoption increases anywhere near like its current path, people are adopting the Bitcoin network for a small portion of their wealth. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm starting to get that. Going back a little bit, just around that the concept that this is a good thing. I'm going to still stick with the with the concept, not not necessarily the hope that it's a good thing. Of CBDCs, of CBDCs, correct. If I was just to, to flesh that out a little bit more, I'm thinking 
Um, I generally need to use the internet to access Bitcoin, generally. And I know that mathematics kind of go beyond just the internet, but let's just assume that to get my Bitcoin off of my hardware wallet, if I didn't keep my passphrases, let's say I've lost it without the use of internet. If I was regulated from using the internet, then in theory, I might be forced into just using the CBDC. So what about that risk that because of, say, digital IDs and effectively a, an internet user's license, which is linked to the value that we have with these CBDCs, could we be restricted from actually even transacting with Bitcoin in the future? Definitely internet access is, require, is required for any um, e-commerce, internet business to use Twitter, to use Bitcoin, right? So, yeah. so internet access, if that's ever restricted, um, firstly, I don't know how realistic that is actually to do. Um, I mean, and the reason I, I, someone gave the example, oh, you know, well, China's had the internet banned for decades, and yet every house in China pretty much has Google, right? Because it's 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 really like it's a, it, the internet is a decentralized network, right? Mm. If there was a way that the internet was banned, then that would absolutely affect your ability to either use a digital dollar, whether it's central bank issued or not, mm. right? But as soon as you give internet access, then they both work. Mm -hmm. So like I'm looking at my bank, well, I'm not looking at my bank account, but if I was looking at my bank account, I'm just looking at a digital representation of what's in my account. So what is the difference here between a CBDC and just what we have right now? Yeah, absolutely. So look, that's a, that's a really good question, right? So um, basically a digital dollar lives on the blockchain. Right, and once it lives on the blockchain, it will be on a smart contract blockchain, and that's the fundamental key point. It's it it has become programmable money, so it is money and value that can have preset conditions programmed into it, and they can be as simple or as complex as is needed for the the transaction. So what that means is our current money and Bitcoin is dumb. It is literally just value that has to be given or received. That's our and, and the only the only way we can decide how money currently is given or received is by humans deciding to transact, mm -hmm. right? And typically that comes down to third parties. Mm -hmm. Accountants, lawyers, um, banks, insurance companies, Western Union, you name it, right? Whereas one of the um, innovations of the blockchain is this concept of smart contract blockchains like Ethereum. So what that really means, Darcy, is like, and I'll give you a really simple example to make it nice and easy. We've got the Blues versus the Crusaders tomorrow. Okay. Um, let's hope the Blues win. <laughs> um, that um, if we have, let's say we have a $100 bet, right? Now, one mechanism in a analog world, and we don't trust each other. So let's say we That's don't right. trust each other and we have a well, hundred dollar bet. Well, you know, you're a Crusader supporter, I take it, right? Red and black. So um, we don't trust each other, and maybe that's because we don't know each other. So we're two parties that are, we both want to put a hundred dollars into this bet, and if the Blues win, I get both the hundred dollars, and if the Crusaders wins, you get it. Now, without a smart contract system, the only way we could do that is to have a third party we trust take the money. With a smart contract, um, what we would do is we would both commit into the smart contract the actual $100 of digital dollars in there. And they would actually go into that smart contract, so they've left my wallet, they're in the smart contract, and likewise is yours. That smart contract would be coded 
and it would have the parameters enshrined in there when we put it in that can't be tampered with because that's the beautiful thing about the blockchain. The reason it's immutable is you can't ever revise anything. It just keeps charging forward. So once it's locked in, that's it forever. In that smart contract, it would say at this time, New Zealand Standard Time, so at this time, look at this oracle. Mm. Now, this oracle is the term they use for a trusted source of data, right? Now, these data are, you know, and the data could be the current interest rate from the Reserve Bank or... Or it could be know, the TAB score. Correct. Right. And it could be, you know, the, the, the um, Radio New Zealand News score update or sure. API feed, right? Yeah. But it will look at that oracle and depending on who's won, it will send the money. And that's just a really simple example of a smart contract and using programmable money. Now, when that sounds like a simple example for the sake of us just trusting each other to have a bet. But when you start thinking about that functionality for things like you sending me $100 million of product from Asia, and instead of spending money on a letter of credit, exactly, yeah. we put money into a smart contract. It's not till the oracle of the shipping line, you know, the government... The, the Ministry of Customs mm -hmm. says, yes, it's arrived. That's the oracle click that the smart contract releases. It. The, the concept of programmable money, um, and there's much more you know, clever and innovative ways. I mean, it's almost exciting thinking how innovators will use this concept of programmable value. I mean, I could, we, could, we could say, let's have a bet for the next two years on Blues versus Crusaders and put $1,000 in there. And every two, every time they play, it checks and passes back fifty bucks. So, like, you, there's all these ways, but the money has become programmable, and there's no third party there, and there's no one that we need to trust. It is quite phenomenal when you think Correct. about it. Correct, and it goes back to that example before with the Uber app, right? Where it's the convergence Correct. of a couple of things in that realm that that's where things really start to blow people's minds. Hundred percent. Look, look, look. That's exactly, and that's where DeFi. So we call it talk about decentralized finance, right? So I think kind of at its core. So take with the internet. Um, you used to have a physical shop that customers would come into, and they would buy goods from you, and they would take them. Right. The internet has come about, and now no physical shops needed for that transfer to occur. You can go online, buy something, and order it. When you think about de decentralized finance, it's kind of the same thing in the sense that now it can happen to finance. Yeah. So the value that someone has in Sweden, so someone who wants to lend $1,000 in Sweden, provide that value to a New Zealander who wants to borrow it at 5% interest, yes. that can happen entirely driven by a platform, a digital platform. Yeah. And because that value can be digitized, Right now, we're in the embryonic stages of that happening. Of course, there's some high-profile um, failures in that space, and we've witnessed some of them recently: the yeah. algorithmic stablecoin of Luna, and so on. Celsius. Celsius. That's right. And that's where, um, you know, like frankly, if if you want to have a laugh, go look go look at YouTube clips of the the view of business cases of the internet in ninety nine, ninety eight, mm -hmm. two thousand. I mean. There's times where we didn't think anything other than books would be sold online. Yeah. So, so that's where decentralized finance allows the concept of financial exchange, borrowing, spending, saving yields to happen, but driven by a platform, mm -hmm. not driven by a, frankly, cost-heavy institution. Yeah. 
it takes a little bit to get your head around it because these are thoughts that your brain might not Correct. have had before. Correct. But it's kind of like when you when you're trying to imagine what the metaverse might be like. It's just kind of like an inversion of reality where instead of, I guess, looking at something digital, it's more like you're already in the digital and you're looking at a representation of yourself. And it's the same sort of thing with this value thing. Instead of it being the thing external to it, it's kind of already in the digital layer. It's it, it like it's weird when you when you try to get your head around it. It's weird for for our generation, right? It's right. not weird at all. If you're if you're under the age yeah. of twenty, it's not even. Yeah. I mean, they'd, they'd be sitting there going, "What do you mean that's weird?" The digital natives. Yeah, yeah. well, correct. And yeah. because like you know, my my kids, they spend, they always want Roblox vouchers and they buy digital pets and you know like right. it, it's in Minecraft and Fortnite. So this concept of digital things having value, that's a challenge for us. Hmm. It's not a challenge for the next generation, yeah, right? right? And and also take the metaverse, right? I, I, I there's some incredible. We're so, we're so early days, and some some incredible thinking happening around the metaverse. For me, I think that two things personally define what the metaverse is. Um, and maybe this is too simplistic a view, but I think it's really misunderstood. One is I think the metaverse is just a more immersive internet. Right, so the experience you have is more immersive. Now that might be all the way into the three D, the virtual reality goggles on, but it might not as well. The second bit around the metaverse, so it's more immersive, but the second bit which makes it the metaverse and not just the old internet is the digital economy, and value can be transacted in the metaverse, and that ranges from NFTs to digital clothing, true digital scarcity, true digital items and true digital currencies means that economies can exist within that metaverse. And bringing us back to CBDCs, that's where it gets quite fascinating because Correct. I kind of get it now in a yeah. sense because it, it creates the connections that we probably need for that innovation to happen. Well, yeah, and you, you think about that protectionism point of view as well, right? Let's say the Reserve Bank in New Zealand said, look, we're not interested in central bank digital currencies, right? So then that currently leads, like there's one very simple path that leads to, if you're a business owner that wants to make use of much more cost-effective leaders of credit via smart contract. So fast forward five years, it's common to use a smart contract. If you can't use a New Zealand digital dollar, then you're forced to use the Australian digital dollar or go and buy okay. USDC stable coins. Yeah. So, so the functionality of programmable money and the innovation that programmable money allows is going to happen regardless. By having a central bank New Zealand digital currency, it means that participants who want to use that functionality but not be exposed to crypto or Bitcoin or that volatility, they can do that. Mm. Okay, so just kind of changing tack a little bit, just so I can kind of, I'm trying to remember all of the concerns that I've heard people express around CBDCs, just to get your take on it. You've kind of nailed a few of them, and I'm trying to remember a few of the other ones, but one, one, of, one of the other extensions of the, the concern, I guess, is, is a sense of 1984, Big Brother. There's just way too much control, and when you look at some of the policies and some of the practices exhibited by the Reserve Bank following the COVID pandemic, especially March 2022, it, it looked like they were singing from the same hymn sheet in terms of their response. Everybody gets the same medicine, irrespective of the illness, economically speaking. So now I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, clearly there's probably a little bit of looking over our shoulder to see what they've done in this space as well. So maybe it's not necessarily people working in tandem, but how connected do you think 
central banks are around this. Yeah, I mean, the Big Brother thing is really interesting because, ironically, crypto is criticised for being too opaque and, um, you know, I guess dark web. And, you know, the irony is I actually think in terms of mainstream adoption, the biggest problem crypto has got, it's too transparent. It's way too transparent, right? So, And here's what I mean by that, although it might sound quite provocative. If you find out one NFT I own, whether it's an NFT of a work of art or whether it's a, you know, it's a um, commemorative poster of, you know, a concert, you then have my address of my wallet because it's public. Everything is transparent on the Ethereum blockchain, on public blockchains. That's one of the things that gives it the safety and the immutability, right, that there's no secrets, right? So once you link a person to a wallet, then you know everything about my transaction history. Literally, my bank account is up there for you to yeah, check. You can see everything that you've done. Correct. Yeah. So it's so transparent that one of the challenges is whether it's CBDC or something like Ethereum or Bitcoin, one of the challenges is there's such a distinct lack of privacy with blockchain and public blockchains. So And, I th- and that might surprise a lot of people. Correct, yeah. correct. And that's where um, the adoption so early days, and look, the great work that the regulators have done, in my view, in getting the crypto exchanges to KYC people, that's done a phenomenal job in reducing the risk of money laundering and you know illicit use, right? But for the vast majority of people who own crypto and you know normal people like you and I, we give our passport over and they 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 take our um uh, they KYC us, um and then they exchange our normal dollars for crypto from that point they can follow they've got breadcrumbs to every single transaction we ever do in the metaverse or on the ethereum blockchain likewise for a cbdc so where that leads i think to and and frankly there's a strong argument that cbdcs will be on ethereum right Hmm. i mean that because you want cbdcs to be on a very like sort of bulletproof blockchain sure the governments may choose to have their own blockchain but I mean, that'll be a, a, a decision, strategy, strategy decision they make. Um, but let's say it's on Ethereum, right? Yeah. Um, like some stable coins. The problem is everything's so public and transparent. Some of the thought leadership around this is that they'll become, um, there'll need to be ways in which digital cash truly exists. Okay. Where you've got private cash. So just like you can take $500 out of a cash flow machine. Yeah and you can go and donate $100 of that anonymously to a charity you support, that mechanism doesn't exist really in the crypto blockchain world. You're right. It's anonymous. It's not anonymous. Correct, correct. And and as we're getting better at AML, people, so so I think, so look, I think that, we don't know where that's going to end up, but I think there's a high likelihood that there'll be two layers, or there's a likelihood that there's two layers of anonymity that will will develop. One, there will be innovation in the decentralized space or in Ethereum, Bitcoin, that truly anonymizes spending. Sure. Right? So if you decide that, you know, and frankly, that'll be used for good and bad, right? But it'll be just like normal cash is used for good and bad, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. In the decentralized world. I think in the CBDC space, I suspect what they'll need to find is a middle ground where whilst the government, the regulators, um, the banking authorities provided the right warrants and so on are in place, yeah. have it 
they can get to it, yeah. but I can't check up on your spending. Because right now I can check up on all your crypto spending. I know it's crazy, isn't it? Correct. So that's the that's that middle ground with CBDCs is the big brother element. Not even the big brother; it's your fellow. That's right. It, it's so there there will be a a privacy and digital identity layer, which is a whole lot of potential, but that hasn't really been solved yet. Okay, so time frame thing you kind of thrown out that one to two decade thing. I know that the people that would be really concerned are almost of the view that this is happening right now and we need to panic and you know buy property in somewhere else and just live in, live in, live in the cave, right? I've, I can kind of see from a, a few different angles why that's just not even possible, right? Because it feels like, in, again, innovation and central banks just are two words that just don't seem to work together in my mind yet. Mm. But either way, even when it, when they do start to do it, they're probably going to have to reiterate and try it and, and experiment a few times. There's going to be some failures. Look, absolutely. And look, the way that I would describe it to all of those people thinking how this is going to work, you know what? Think of a credit card. Credit cards didn't used to exist. They were literally not a thing. Yeah. And then they we had this concept of a credit card and you could give your credit card. There would have been a point in the adoption of credit cards where people said, I don't want someone keeping track of my spending that's not yeah. the bank. Yeah. That would be a thing that people opted into if they felt the functionality of a credit card was helpful. Okay. And the people who didn't kept spending cash. Correct. Yeah. And I think that's what you'll find with CBDCs is that they will be made available, let's say, in like a... I'm just having a guess, there might be 1% of the New Zealand dollars on circulation that are digitised, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and for those businesses and consumers and innovators that want to offer use cases where programmable money is quite helpful, they'll go and get some digital New Zealand dollars, right? Um, whereas those who don't will carry on in the normal system. And so I think you'll find for, I suspect, for at least 10 years, your life won't even be impacted at all if you don't want to use digital currencies. Mm. Um, a bit like if you wanted to avoid the internet. It's probably taken 20 years, I suspect, before it's really hard to not use the internet. Yeah, it's difficult actually, isn't it, right now, to, to live without Correct. having an online presence. So that's kind of like analogous to what you're talking about. Correct. That, that, if, that if you don't want yeah. the utility of that then you won't opt into it, right? But like I said, like businesses will go, you know what, that letter of credit is a good way to do it. And frankly, the Reserve Bank's challenge is can they arm New Zealand businesses or do New Zealand businesses just increasingly use US dollar stable coins, Aussie stable coins, right? right? Yeah. Um, um, for those, those purposes. But it, it'll be like most innovation, you know, um, YouTube. YouTube's adoption has increased as high definition streamings increased the infrastructure of high high speed broadbands increased right yeah. so so we're in the stage i think of digital value transfer decentralized ledgers and digital currencies we're at the stage where it's working but it's so early days it's like skype calls when skype skype was only used by you know students and kind of that's right Techos, yeah. right? And now it's kind of like let's jump on a WhatsApp call, a Skype call. Like you know, I mean, it's just it I almost mean, doesn't matter. It's just correct. It's, just it's seamless. Yeah. And and that, but but I guess the point I was trying to make there is utility drives adoption. Yes. So if people don't want the functionality and value of adopting into that digital currency, they won't bother. Right. So utility drives adoption, but it you got to acknowledge that it is possible that also fear could drive adoption as well. Yeah. Coercion and desperation, right? 
Like, there's got to be a dark side here somewhere. Like, do you see any oh, no, no, I think, risks of, of, of I, this? No I, I, no, I definitely see risks. Yeah. Like 100%. I, do, I, I, I totally see risks. I mean, the risks are the way in which, um, like any new technology, that um, the government and institutions choose to deploy it, yeah. right? So, I mean, there's you might even find that the first examples of a digital currency in New Zealand is only used by the wholesale market. Right. And the banks use it to settle up with each other. And, you know, there's some really great innovation happening around um, with Dave Corbett and Power Finance and the, right. the likes of those businesses that are really trying to innovate in the um, finance and banking space with the traditional finance. The concept of a New Zealand digital dollar has doesn't necessarily, like in its first iteration, doesn't necessarily mean, okay, I've got an app on my phone and all my spending at yeah. the supermarket is in digital currencies. There's that quote about technology, which technology should be beautiful or invisible. Right. And I actually think in a lot of ways, we may find that digital like CBDCs actually become invisible. I mean, at the moment, we pay wave our Apple Pay, mm-hmm. right? Now, the fact that that's driven by some quite clunky um, old school rails, yeah. if that was a seamless blockchain-driven CBDC behind that, it hasn't changed my user experience at all. I hear you. So little by little, all at once, perhaps. But let's now just maybe come in for a landing here. And I kind of think, as, as I operate like a consumer, I usually deal with a retail bank. But that's private money. And then we have this other kind of money that, that already exists. So I don't see a future here with CBDCs long term and retail banks. Can you talk to me about that evolution there? Um, I, I, I personally think that, you know, a little bit like retail. Amazon hasn't destroyed all traditional retailers. It's just adjusted the market, right? So the internet and online retailing hasn't destroyed, it's just changed the market dynamics. And I think personally it'll be a little bit similar with finance. Um, But you're absolutely right. A big change is going to be the simple fact that via a CBDC, you literally can have an account direct with the sovereign. So in some ways like if you can earn your New Zealand dollars um, into your account on the blockchain direct with the sovereign yeah. um you kind of if you earn money spend money and that's your banking relationship yeah like you kind of don't need a bank that's right you can certainly put an argument why you wouldn't need a bank right yeah, that's right and and the central bank if your banking needs are simplistic actually becomes your bank that's right you just need a place to store your value which is your new zealand digital dollars and a mechanism to spend it which is swiping your phone and we struggle to see how that would work with all the complexities of the current banking system right now, but we're forgetting to factor in technology and innovation between now and when that's actually happening, right? Well, yeah, and although we say we struggle to see that, right, like um, it, it's really, you think about your Ethereum wallet address. If you had a wallet, like you'll just have a wallet address with um, the central bank yeah. and that would be tied into your real me or you know, let's say you know let's say your real me had an nft attached to it when we start solving those digital id when you actually truly that's quite simple to authenticate that that's darcy yeah. um so then you've got your wallet address and that's your kind of new zealand central bank wallet address that's right it's not that hard like if you have metamask installed correct in browser and you're using your smartphone is doing biometric scanning correct we're already kind of there correct but again so it'll it'll, yeah. it'll kind of feel like yeah. um your app with ANZ, ASB, or you name it, right? Yeah. It'll just be it'll just be with a blockchain address. That's the only difference. And the blockchain address will deal with a uh, um, you, you the money can go straight into that wallet, and it's come from the central bank. Yeah, 
I still can't shake the sense though that you know when you go to get a get a needle, it'll, it'll just be a little bit of a scratch. It's like, <laughs> ah! So I kind of, kind of get the sense that you're you're generally for it, right? Like you think it's it's a good well, thing, right? Well, um, yeah. Uh, the reason I'm generally for it is because I think that the innovative potential and the functionality of programmable money is going to be really powerful. Sure. Right. But I totally agree that. It's not something that we should rush and it's not something that we should charge into without thinking about privacy, liberty and those types of things. But I come back to my other example, just because the technology exists for recording mechanisms and cameras yes. doesn't mean the government has got one in every one of our houses. Yes. Like their technology is capable, but no, they don't. So just just because it's it's potentially possible for them to control our money via a central bank digital currency yeah. doesn't mean... That they will or should. Yeah, there's there's layers of reasonable um, reasonability. They they also have an army, but they're not destroying their. Correct. Right? Correct. Correct. So that makes sense. So thanks, thanks very much, Scott McLeaver, PwC. If people want to reach out to you because they think that what you can do for them, then obviously they can find you. No worries. Thank you, Das. It's been great to be here. All right. Good one.